Hey, I'm Michael, and this is Michael in the Middle. It's an intergenerational relational podcast for people who are interested in better human interaction. I'm glad you're here. Hey there. Uh, it's great to welcome you back to Michael in the Middle, and I am especially honored today uh, to be joined uh, here on uh, this podcast with uh, a friend with whom I've not had a lot of up close and personal contact, but a, a friend that I have come to admire greatly here in the national community, and that's uh, Joe Dubin there, Big Joe on the go. If you're not following him on social media, uh, he's a great follow on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And uh, Joe, welcome in, buddy. It's great to see you today. Michael, thank you. I, uh, I, I appreciate being asked, and I'm a big fan of yours, and I'm a big fan of Treveca. So this was uh, an easy yes, absolutely. So thank you. You're, you're very welcome. Uh, is, the, is the red hoodie there? Is that, is that, you know, carrying some sort of message today? <laughs> or are you just... It's finally no, it's, cold enough to bust it out, you know? It's the only clean thing I had in my closet. I was out doing leaves in the yard, so yeah. I was off today. So I was like, I got to grab that, and then I just kept it on. But, yeah, I, I, if you catch me out, there's probably a 95% chance that I'm wearing a hoodie all the time. Just I love comfortable. It. I love it. So um, I came to Nashville as a college student in 1978. So I've been around more or less – you know, now for, for uh, what would that be, 40, 44 uh, years or so. Right. Uh, lived a couple other places in between. But um, you've been you've been in Nashville pretty much all your life. Am I right about that? Yeah, I've been here. There was a spell that we lived in Hawaii for a little bit, that we, but it wasn't for long. And then we, uh, you know, came back here to high school here. I went to uh, junior college in East Tennessee, ended up going to Sanford and playing football down there. And then I finally came back and ended up graduating from MTSU 11 years after I left high school. So I've had a, uh, it was a bit of a journey to get where I needed to go. And I think it's still a journey for all of us. So uh, I've had chances to leave Michael to go to other places and other cities. And uh, somebody told me a long time ago, if it comes from God, it feels right. There's no questions. If it doesn't come from God, you have all the questions and it doesn't feel right. I had all the questions and it didn't feel right. So I never left. And so I stayed and, uh, you know, it's not like I missed anything anywhere else, but Nashville's home and I love it here. And uh, who knows what the future holds, but it's home for me. So I, I'm a unicorn. I'm a native. There's not many of us left around here. So we, uh, we, we strength in numbers. There's not many around. So, but uh, yeah, it's pretty much Nashville my whole life. Uh, you, uh, I know where I, I, I picked up across the years how, you have a real affinity for the Donaldson Hermitage area. Is that, was that kind of where you grew up or old Hickory or where? Um... Yeah. Sort of by the airport area, Priest Lake Donaldson Hermitage. You know, we grew up and, you know, we had play, like any place, you know, you, you make up it what you want. And so we had a great time grew up. I had a great childhood, had wonderful friends, you know, we were places to cruise in Hermitage. Nobody got in trouble. Of course, this is the, you know, mid eighties. Uh, nobody got in trouble. We all knew our places and our roles and it was just perfect. So, you kind of grow up, you're like, I don't want to stay here. But the older you get and, you know, with the college away game, you travel around, you realize that, you know, there's some places that you really enjoy that feel comfortable and that's your hometown. And so, you know, I don't, you know, I am from Nashville, but more importantly, Dawson, Hermitage, Old Hickory, you know, parts of Mount Juliet is where I grew up and places that I love. So they're very near and dear to me. What's uh, What are your favorite spots? Um, you know, like um... – I'm thinking of long time places over in Donaldson. When I, when I was a, a younger man, I worked for Commerce Union Bank for a little while. Yeah. And, and we played, uh, I played with the, they recruited me to play on the softball team and we were out there two rivers next door to McGavick. And, and uh, the guys always wanted to go to Fletcher's after, yeah. after the game. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and that place is still standing. I mean, they've taken some knocks, but, isn't it cool to see places that have endured like that over time? It is, especially in our backyard. You know, I wrote last week, somebody asked me to explain Fletcher's, and I said very simply, I can't. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't explain them. It's not a five-star restaurant. It's nothing you're going to see on, you know, uh, the great cooking TV shows. You're not going to. In fact, you know, the food's probably 
a little bit above average, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just, it's a special place for so many people. It's not about the food. It's about the ambiance and the people you'll see and the memories you've had. I mean, I've got all kinds of memories throughout the years of going to that place with friends, some who've passed away now. And it just feels good going in there, seeing people, knowing what you're going to do, knowing who you're going to see. Uh, and again, it's hard to explain about, you know, I, I went to college with a guy who uh, was a big fisherman. He lived down in Alabama. We went to this great place where they had catfish. And Mike, I'll tell you, we went to this restaurant. It was awful. It was the worst catfish. And I said, I don't know how you do that. I mean, it's just because what do you think? I said, I, I, it's not good. I don't know how you like this. He goes, well, I, I understand to me how good it is. I'm sorry you don't understand the same way. I said, that's fine. It's just, it's okay. And I think that's what Fletcher's does for a lot of people in Donaldson's. Like, yeah, it's not the greatest, but, you know, to us it is. And again, it's very hard to explain why this is. If you've not experienced that ambiance throughout the years of seeing people, you know, and when you're down and you go there and eat and you run into an old friend, it's just really special in so many ways. So it's good to see that place going and going as strong as ever too, which is really, really good. Yeah. I, uh, I had that kind of relationship with El Chico over on Murphy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I thought the food was great, but I, once it closed, I realized that what I was missing the most was the people that had been uh, serving me there across, you know, 40 plus years and, and finding, finding that and I wasn't going to see Claudia or Rosa or Michael or Jay or, or Alicia, or, I mean, I, if I didn't know the server at El Chico, it was because they had just started. You know? <laughs> well, so, you know, they closed the one in Rivergate and that crushed me too. That, you know, I spent a lot of time the one in Rivergate. So when you oh, see yeah. little things like that get taken away and it's happening, Michael, all the time in Nashville and it just guts you. I mean, it's like, oh, I remember that place there. Or I remember that place there. And you know, and all too often, you know, it gets taken away. Then a year later, you go by there, and what took that place of the place you loved is gone too. So it's it's again, it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, but to see Fletcher's thriving like that really makes me happy. And you know, and I, I'm I'm not invested in the company. I don't I don't know Gary Fletcher, the owner, that great. I just know what that place has meant to me forever. And so yeah. it's uh, it's I hope it stays around that my son can experience his son for many 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 years. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not angry about the fact that Edley's barbecue showed up over there because that's pretty good food. Uh, yeah, right. So we've become, we've got an Edley's and now this whole new plan the next three to five years to revitalize Donaldson. And, and some yeah. really cannot stand it. And others like, you know, bring it on, bring it on. And so we'll see what happens. But yeah. overall, it looks good for, for Donaldson to be kind of the next burgeoning place in Davidson County. That, uh, that gives me uh, maybe a little jumping off point. Um, tell me, tell me about your your family a little bit as you were growing up and and going to school here and and some of the things that you remember. I I, I don't want to delve too deeply into it more than you want to, but I okay. was really taken by uh, the blog that you shared yesterday on the anniversary of your mom's passing. How many years has it been now since she's been gone? Uh, 11 years, you know, and it's funny you think about 11 years, like, wow, you know, I remember the, the night she passed away and all that. And, you know, you remember the days afterwards and the funeral and all that goes on. And then, you know, bleak of an eye, it's 11 years. It's just one of those things where at the moment you wish you could get away from it all, you know, because the visitation, the funeral and everything else that happens because you're not prepared for it. And then you fast forward, it's been 11 years. So, yeah, yesterday, my birthday is October 25th. So every year on my birthday, uh, she would call me uh, at 1.09 p.m. I mean, Michael, this happened my entire, you know, when I was in college, she'd leave a message on the answer machine at 1.09. We got cell phones, she would call me. Uh, so she had uh, Alzheimer's and, you know, whether it's dementia, Alzheimer's or whatever, any kind of thing like that, it's all the same. All right. We could we could uh, compartmentalize, compartmentalize all of it and put it in different areas. Right. It's still awful. It's just still awful. So. You know, there were moments, months, she had no idea who I was, no clue. And so, you know, your birthday rolls around, you're thinking, man, you know, I, I enjoyed all those calls. And I just never forget, I was at home, I was off work, and my phone rang from her because she had a cell phone in her, we had her in a nursing home, which is another awful story in itself. Uh, and I picked the phone up, and she was as clear and concise as like nothing was wrong. And, 
happy birthday and I miss you and come see me and I'll see you later on. Love you. It was like, wow. And then eight months later, she was gone. I mean, so it's one of those things where, you know, I, and I tell people in the midst of this massive, awful storm, God sends you hope. It's just, it's there, you know, it sends you hope. And I, I'll never forget that phone call as long as I live. And I was, you know, I wrote the story and I think anybody would read it. And it's really touched a lot of people, which I'm really grateful for. But it just shows that there is all this hope that you have in the middle of this. And you just got to recognize it and see it. And uh, it was wonderful. So, yeah, she was uh, she was a warrior. You know, she was a single mom. And I've wrote this about, too. It's like my relationship with my father was awful. I didn't talk to him for 35 years before he died. Uh, mm. He died three years ago. And I could I couldn't have cared less. And people are like, well, you should forgive and forget. And I'm like, you know, it's easy to say. It's easy to say you should forgive and forget. If you had not been there when the light guy comes to turn off your lights because he disappeared for weeks at a time and didn't pay the bill. And my mom is a single mom trying to struggle. You know, it's easy to say forgive and forget when you uh, you have to borrow money to eat. You know, I'm not saying I had the worst childhood, but there are moments that you don't forget. And had he been even... Things happen between parents, right? They get divorced all the time. I, I've been through two divorces, and I'm not proud of that. But, you know, you still have responsibility to your children. And, you know, he did not do that. And uh, it was – it was obviously it was tough. I don't know what I missed because he was never around, Michael. I don't know what I missed in life. But it made my relationship with my mother really, really close. And I wrote about this. I wrote a story called uh, – and in return. And I talk about how awful my dad was growing up. I mean, he left me at a uh, – billiards hall for six hours one day on a wow. Sunday when he didn't come. But I was like nine years old. And I vividly remember that some guy teaching me to play pool. He shows back up six hours later with another woman who's not my mom. And so, and then, you know, I don't see him for like a year and he shows up at a basketball game I'm playing in and he's drunk and he's yelling at me to rebound. And I didn't recognize, I didn't know who the guy was. So you look at all this and I wrote the story, like, here's why I, here's what happened to us. And then I, in the middle of the story, I said, but you know, in the middle of the story and in return, God gave me something and he gave me this beautiful woman I called my mother. And, you know, I talk about things, you know, I cracked my sternum in a football game one time and I thought in college, I thought I was going to die. You know, she drives all night to make sure I don't die, which I wasn't going to die. And just other things about my life that she was always there. And so I never lacked for anything because she was always there. So I made our relationship closer and everything that we did uh, and went through. And so it was when she got sick, it was tough because I was powerless to help. I couldn't, you know, I could move a lot of weight in the gym, but I couldn't help her. And it was yeah. just so, you know, humiliating and tough on me. And but we, we had this great relationship where we just kind of took care of each other for so long. And so what it did with my kids, and I tell people, you know, it's like, oh, you're a great dad. You know, I'm, thank you very much. But what I did is that I did a 180 of what my father did. And my greatest fear is that my kids grow up feeling about me the way I felt about my dad. And I, I can't do that. And so it's being involved. And I tell people, I, you know, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to my kids. Right. I'm addicted because my mom was so wonderful and you know giving of herself and taking care of me and make sure we had everything so you know I, i've become her in so many ways of taking care of my kids and just being there for them and you know one of the greatest things my daughter said one time they asked about her dad and she said he's always there you know and that's to me that spoke volumes of, yeah. uh, of a lot of things of always being there so it was a uh, but you know I had a lot of friends that grew up in uh divorced households and it's unfortunate the way it is, but, you know, and that's my story. And, you know, it's like, I don't want like, oh, it's so bad. I didn't want that because I didn't want for anything, if that makes sense. I had everything that I needed. I didn't know anymore. I had great friends. I had a great mom. I got a great brother and sister. So having the dad who never was around, I didn't know what I was missing. So when he passed away, I wrote this story. Some people wrote to me and said, well, you have to forgive and forget and stop killing that hate around. And then a real good friend wrote back to me and said, you feel the way you want to feel and yeah. you, you live the story. And it's crazy because my father's got two aunts who I don't, I haven't talked to forever. And so when he passed away, I went to the funeral and they wouldn't speak to me. 
And finally, one came to the parking lot and said, you know, I shouldn't be talking to you after all this. I'm like, well, how am I the bad guy? How am I? Well, they're like, well, your dad wasn't as bad as you make him out to be. I'm like, I lived the story. I was, you weren't, I don't know what he's telling you. I lived the story with that. So it was really odd at the funeral when he passed away. I only stayed like five minutes. But again, it goes back to having this wonderful mom, this strength, this bond. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I go see her all the time at the funeral home. And I just, I have this Bible verse, you know, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And it's just wonderful that I've got her in my spirit, my soul forever. And I, you know, Mike, I get angry sometimes because she put up, uh, I mean, she gave herself for us and for me to, to live a great life. You know, and I think about it, what if she wanted to say, you know what, because he doesn't, the dad, you know, my dad doesn't want to do this. Maybe I don't want to do it either. Then what would have happened to me? I get shuttled to a foster home or who knows where I would have gone. Uh, but she never quit. And so that's what I take from there. I, I never quit on anything just because she never quit. And uh, she was wonderful. And I miss her every day, but I know that her spirit lives on and me and so many people uh, around that knew her. So it's a, it's a good thing. It was tough for a while. There were moments like we went and saw her on uh, Mother's Day, probably two months before she passed. And my son was five years old and he was dancing and, and showing all these dance moves. And my mom grabbed my hand and said, uh, excuse me, sir, what's that young man's name? And that just, you know, that just, that's a gut punch. That just devastates you in so many ways. Wow. It's just an awful, awful disease. But I have so many great memories of her growing up and everything that it, it really, really good. And lastly, uh, and I wrote about this too as well, you know, my son will never know her voice, you know, and that that hurts in a, in a lot of ways. She'll never know that yeah. warm love you voice or that you know you're in trouble voice and all that but you know but i had it i had it for me for a long time i know there's a lot of people that who their parents passed at an early age and it just and i hate that for them for so much because they missed out on so much but uh yeah I, i'm good and things are better and uh i just again i thank god that she was my mom that's awesome man yeah so uh tell me about your kids uh well my daughter's she's a nurse she's an rn in mississippi and she got married last year and grounded in faith and, and, and the Lord. And so she's met a wonderful man and uh, she's living a great life. And I'll never forget when I, uh, somebody asked me how the wedding was walking your daughter down the aisle. And so I walked her down the aisle and we got about five feet away. And I look up at her husband he had cried so much, Michael, that the front of his suit was soaking wet. <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking at this young man who has this just vast love for my daughter. And it's just an amazing feeling of, yeah. You know, I'm giving her away to this guy who's going to take care of her and thinks that she hung the moon. And it was a beautiful thing. Uh, my son, he goes to sophomore. He's at DCA. Uh, great kid. You know, he's active in a lot of things. Uh, you know, he played football. We, we, he's running track. He's playing track. He's not running. He's not good enough to run. He's it's a big <laughs> kid. And uh, he's in choir and theater. And he's just a good boy. And I'm blessed. You know, no trouble. He's just a good kid, and he's uh, he's a 180 for me growing up, which is which is really good, you know. So I know that uh, he's got a bright future ahead of him, and you know, my thing with him was, you know, we've had these long talks, and I was like, for as long as you prioritize your life, as long as you love Jesus first and know Him and know what He's about and dedicate your life to Him, and then your family's next and friends that you'll be fine, and th that's it. And he was like, is that all? I was like, there's all these obstacles on the way, but as long as you keep those things prioritized. You'll be fine. I mean, you will be fine. And so he's really embraced that. He's in a great school with great people. He's got it, and he goes to a great life team group uh, on the weekends. So we're really fortunate for all that. That's fantastic. Donaldson Christian's a neat place. And I, I'm sure you know Dennis Goodwin, who's been yeah. over for uh, all these decades. He's, uh, uh, we, we should have known that Dennis would end up being a pretty good uh, athletic administrator. He, he kind of ran our intramural association as a student over here. Oh, I didn't know that. School. His wife, Sherry, was a part of our class of 1982, and Dennis may be a year older than that. But uh, we've known a lot of DCA people across the years and um, a lot of good connections between Trevecca and DCA as well as other schools around town. So um, how did you end up in broadcasting? I mean, is that what you studied when you were in college? Did you start doing that before you finish the degree what what yeah so i uh i wanted to be a football coach my best friend's the head football coach at eastern kentucky university and uh, he was coaching at cumberland at the time and i went back to school to get my degree and so i, I took 67 hours in a year at mtsu 
to graduate. And I was going to double major in history and uh, journalism. And because I was going to be a high school football coach. Yeah. So I met this one guy who worked at channel two and we were talking one day and he was telling me about his job and all he does and how no day's different. And it's exciting. I was like, man, I'd like to do this. So I had to do an internship. I interned at channel two in the summer of 1996 I could intern anywhere I wanted to. Back then, only three stations, two, four, and five. Yeah. So I called Channel 4 to intern with Rudy. Uh, and Rudy Kalis had interns lined up for the next 10 years. Yeah. It was just, I was like, well, dadgummit. So I called Channel 2. They were in transition. And they were going to have a sports guy at the time. The sports guy they had. So he's like, yeah, come on in. Do whatever you want. So I went in there. And then I was there a few weeks. And John Dwyer showed up at Channel 2. And then. He, I kind of worked under him for a while, and he was fantastic just showing how, how to work, how to write, how to interview people, how to do this and do that. And so I really had how a good – How to dress. I mean, yeah, he was a great dresser. Right? He was a great dresser. Yeah. Uh, so that was good. So I had John as kind of a bouncing point off of me. And then my internship came up, and a guy at work said – one of the managers said, well, here your internship's up. And I said, yes, sir. He's like, well, we can't let that happen because I'm going to get you a job here. So I got a job. I was – Working at Channel 2, I was doing the noon show. I was an editor. I worked from 8 to 1. I made $6 an hour. I would leave at 1 o'clock and drive to a healthcare company in Franklin that I worked at from 2 to 10. Uh, Everyone's input and data. And this, there were only six of us at the time. And this company ended up, so this was 96, 97 in there. This company, so they, when I, they offered me a job, you go to hospitals and check their medical records. And Michael, it just sounded so awful. I was like, I can't do this job. Meanwhile, here's Channel 2. I'm in the door. I'm shooting football games. I'm getting the right. It's a lot of fun. So I went to Channel 2. Fast forward in 2014, that healthcare company in Franklin called AIM Healthcare sold to a, a German company for something like $850 million. So the people that started there got well compensated. But I don't look at it like, look at all that money you lost. Well, no, I mean, I I, I didn't lose any. I didn't to lose something, you have to have had it. I didn't yeah. have that much, you know. So anyway, so I started at Channel 2, and I worked my way up. So we would do these uh, Titans preseason games, and we would do promotions like Titans versus the Bears Saturday night, and it was really boring and generic. And I went to the guy that uh, promotions guy at the time, and, and I kept writing him scripts. And they never used them, never used them. Finally, he called me. He's like, hey, we're going to use one of your scripts for the simple reason that you'll stop giving me scripts. And I was like, perfect. So we did this take on the Blair Witch Project. The Titans were playing the playoffs with the Jaguar, the Jaguars. And it got real received. It got nominated for this huge award for ABC. And the promotions guy was like, you, you get to do the rest of them. So we did, the next couple of years, did more and more. I was doing writing, more camera work. And we ended up winning this huge award called the Alpha Award from ABC over a promotion that we did. And you know, my GM recognized it. And one thing led to another. The big joke thing kind of evolved. And I got on the morning show over there. This was 2003. And it just took off. I mean, people want to see their community in a different light that's not yeah. negative. Yeah. So I would go out and just do all these fun events, fun things, go to schools, and just took off. So they'd given me a 90-day contract when I started the big Joe on the go thing. After four days, the general manager called me in. And slid across the table a three-year contract to me and said, I had no idea how fantastic this would be after four days. And I was like, I, I, I kind of told you it'd be great. And then so we kind of went that way. So I did it for three years. We had a lot of fun. We met a lot of people. And then one day uh, in the summer of 2006, all the sports people at Channel 2 got different jobs like in the same week. They all went everywhere. And then I do sports. So he called me up and says, hey, I need you to do sports this weekend. And I'm like, gosh, I don't want these. I'll, I'll pay extra and all that. So, okay. So I went in and this was July of 2006, did a sports cast and I treated it and not to drop an SNL hint because you're with me, but I treated my sports cast like an SNL weekend update, like four yeah. minutes. Yeah. You know, USA was in the world cup playing some team, some country I'd never heard of. And I just had fun with that. Yeah. I get off, I get off the anchor desk and, he calls me and, and I'm seeing my phone ring. I'm like, oh no, this isn't good. And he goes, I haven't laughed or enjoyed a sports cast like that <laughs> in forever. We need to talk on Monday. And one thing led to another. He put me on the uh, sports desk, and that's right. That's how I started. So it all started with a, a weekend jaunt of having fun. 
And that's where it stayed for a while. And then I went to over to ESPN 1025 the game for several years. Yeah. And then uh, one night, and I've written about this too, uh, it was a January cold night, 2015. My phone rang at 930 at night. And I don't answer my phone if I don't know the number. But Michael, something told me that night to answer the phone. I said, you need to answer the phone. And the good Lord speaking to me. So I picked it up and it was Rudy Kalis. And he said, hey, Joe, I'm, I'm leaving sports. I'm going to the morning show. And, you know, they want me to help pick the replacement. I looked through all these YouTube videos and I can't find anybody who's as good as you. So you want this job? It's like, yeah. So one day led to another. That's how I got to Channel 4. Wow. Uh, and I was there was a nice run for six years. And, you know, once COVID happened, you know, I started doing the big Joe and the Go thing again. And once COVID happened, it was tough on a lot of journalists. Not yeah. what was me, like, oh, but I was, again, I was powerless to help you. You know, I'm telling your story, but I can't help you. I can't make you well. I can't bring your dad back. I can't bring your business back. And it was just so tough. And yeah, I remember I went to my boss at the time and I said, hey, I said, I really want to do more positive stories. I'm going to do more stories of, of people just making or just positive, feel good stories. And in the office, he looked at me and said, that sounds good, but nobody cares. And I knew then that my time at Channel 4 under him was done yeah and my time came up in june of 2021 they offered me another year on my contract but i could not stay under that kind of uh attitude and not caring about the community i just couldn't do it and he ended up leaving like a month after i left but i'm so glad where i am now what i'm doing i no stress no pressure in my life i still get the right for main street media which i love uh and do other things around so I don't think I've ever been happier and I've ever been just so more relaxed in my life than I am right now. I want to talk about Main Street some more. That's a fascinating story. And the timeline, uh, you know, is is really cool to be reminded of. I I want to tell you personally, thank you for uh, in 2009. I remember specifically that probably because Greg Ruff gave you a call, but uh, you came out to Ravenwood out there in, in the Donaldson Hermity Jerry. Yeah. And you did a you did a really nice story about uh the 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 team that I took to the national tournament for NAI women's golf. We had we had four girls on the team that year through a variety of circumstances. We we only had four girls that year. And that meant that literally every stroke counted, you know, in college yeah. golf. You have five you have five players playing and you count the four low scores but with only four girls we we had to count every straight nice. round and and we won the uh the trans south conference that year by one stroke wow we had a we had a the, our conference tournament down at graystone down in dixon and uh literally we did we won it by one stroke it gave us an auto automatic bid to uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, where the national tournament was held that year. And you came out and you did, you treated us like we really were headed off to a national championship. And 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 we were, it just wasn't like yeah. the one world. And that was back when Vandy's women were so good, you know. That's right. And you, you were kind to do that story for us. And I know you did the same thing for our softball team a couple of times. In a, I want to talk just a little bit about what's happened to Nashville over the years as it relates to both the sports market and just things in general. When I came to college, Trevecca was a part of a, of a triangle between Lipscomb and Belmont and Trevecca. And we were all kind of on a, I mean, they were a little bit bigger than we were, but we were able to compete with them in, in the sports. And it didn't feel like this huge separation. We didn't have the Titans. We didn't have the predators, you know, the sports market afforded places like ours to still get, you know, a line or two in the Tennessee or the banner or on, on local sports uh, and, and things like that. You kept that alive for a lot of people for a little while, even after the major league sports started getting here. And I, I will always remember that. And I, I will always treasure that about you. You, you cared about the local school here that was kind of getting squeezed out in a way. And, and it wasn't in, it wasn't out of pity. It was because it was a good story, you know, right. and you weren't going to let it die. It was, you know, and that's what I, I get so upset to do about sports is that. The loose joke. I'm here. Froze there for a minute. Like you're good. I'm still here. 
There you are. Okay, yeah. Okay, there we go. Uh, that's the thing is I, you know, I get my Titans news from ESPN. You know, I got the ESPN app. I read Titans news on there. I, I'm not following the local news for a 15-second Titans soundbite. So back in the day, my thing was always, if you don't take care of your backyard, you're done. You're done. There are sports casters around the country who've been fired, and I could go across. It's like Phoenix, Vegas, St. Louis, Detroit, Tampa, Atlanta, West Palm Beach, and parts between because the sports casters never left the office. They would just roll on, you know, some NFL feed, and you know, and they're like, "Well, all people care about is the NFL." Well, that's so wrong. You know, you can divert time out for other things. So when you guys do that, or you know, with Treveca, when you I met you guys with the softball team. It's 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 a great little story. It's just got to get off your butt and go out and tell it. And now you don't. It's done. I mean, it's they won't get out. And it's not the sportscasters' fault because consultants have squeezed them out and everything. And uh, it's just a shame. And that's why I'm so glad. Like you guys are Trevecca. No MTSU does this well. UT up in Knoxville does this. You kind of harness your own content and blast it out. Yeah. That way I can see it there. I don't have to rely on. Channel 245 or Fox 17 to find that story. I can see what you guys are doing now. And it's great. I go on my phone and find that stuff. So back then, it was like, this is a great story. There's a couple of local girls on this team. The softball team was great because it was like half the team from Middle Tennessee. Yeah. And it's just really nice to see that because you go out on a Titans Tuesday or Wednesday, there's no new news there. There's nothing. The <laughs> game was on Sunday and you rehashed everything. And I just, I, but I don't see TV coming back around, really embracing the local content again. I uh, just, it's sports wise. But I'm glad that you guys, and even the Titans do this too, and the Predators, you own your own content and you just blast it out there where I can see everything. So I don't get a 15 second soundbite on Channel Four when I can get a two minute story off your website about great things that happen athletically over there. So, but it's just always been fun to take care of the backyard. That's awesome. I, I, you know, I don't know where it happened, but sports on local TV news now, maybe two minutes, three minutes, you know, it might, might be four at the most touchdown Fridays or whatever the local channel calls it, you know, and I know you did that uh, forever getting out. And now you, I, maybe this is a good segue now to main street. I mean, you have a Friday night high school football show that, that, a lot of people have really gravitated towards how did that whole Main Street thing kind of pop up? Yeah, well, this is actually separate from Main Street because this is on oh, okay. 25. Yeah. And so I did this show about 10 years ago over there and it was great. So once I got a TV, my son set out football this year. I, I called 102 and uh, we were talking and say, would you be interested in coming back and doing this, the game blitz? I'm like, absolutely. And then so like, all right, can you do like nine to 11? I said, no, I want to do six to midnight. They're like, well, that well, six to midnight. Where you get the content? And I said that's not for you to worry about. I'll worry <laughs> about. I'll worry about that. Yeah. And you know, it's it's been fantastic. High school football has exploded here. And I know you look at people like, wow, well, nobody cares. Well, that's fine. You know, but there's a lot of people who do care. And it, Friday nights, and we have like 15 to 18 coaches will come on on the show. We get scores. It's just really fun on a Friday night. NFL and college can have every other day. But Friday night, give it the high school. And I tell you, Mike, we've heard from so many people because that signal on Friday it goes to a lot of great – we've heard people from almost all over the state on Friday night, and it's, and it's been fantastic. And I never go back to something about TV, about time. Uh, when I was at Channel 4 at a consultant who was terrible, uh, I would have three three minutes, you know, four minutes sometimes. Well, he came up with things, said that I had to go on my sports cast. I had to go fight for my time which means I had to go to the meeting and fight for my time. So I went to the meeting one day and all the producers were in there and they were getting the show log, you know, kind of formatted out. Uh, and I brought up and said, Hey, I, I'm told I'm here to fight for my time. They're like, yeah. And I said, eh, I don't feel like fighting today. You guys can have it. And the producers look at the rundown, like, well, how are we going to fill four minutes? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you figure something out, but I don't feel like fighting today. They're like, well, you can't. And I said, Exactly never pigeonhole me. Give me my time. I'll take care of it. I'm, I've been fighting for my time every single day since I've been here. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do this again. You know, I got good content. They're like, okay, it was never a problem again after that. So I always laugh that consultants find a way to kind of screw everything up. 
And that was kind of the way they want to do that there. And then, you know, they've got their hold on local TV so much and kind of tell people and all this research, what's happening here and there. They don't have a clue. I mean, it's, they don't have, when I'm watching the news and the third story is some story to Chattanooga, I'm like, we got a lot of people living in middle Tennessee. We should be doing more stories here. And it was always a battle. And I don't think it's ever going to come back, Michael. It's going to take maybe a, a consultant who really cares about local, 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 and a TV station who cares about local, local, local for it to get back where it was. But I think that ship sailed. I did notice that uh, recently Channel 4 has gone back, and I don't know I don't know if somebody convinced them that um, – you remember Hello Nashville, Channel 4 Loves You, you know, that yeah. – I mean, it was just back when Dan Miller and Demetria and Bill Hall and, and all of them were a part of that, Rudy. They, yeah. They, I, and I understand that maybe some other markets use that as well, but I I strongly believe in the, in the power of presence in a local context. And even though Nashville has gotten to be this major league city, um, you know, a third coast, if you will, um, if we if we lose the soul of of Nashville's uniqueness, then yeah. we're then we're just one more big city, and and so I I talk about that a lot in my work that I do here. Um, I work a lot with uh, local churches of the Nazarene around the southeast, and and I I believe like the Tip O'Neill book back when he and Ronald Reagan were friends, you know, back when politicians could have wildly different views on certain things and still be friends at the right. end of the day, you know, that all politics is local. I think, I still think that's kind of true. Now that the media has taken to uh, extremes to keep us divided, but I think if we could find a way to come back together in the middle in a more localized way, I think we'd solve a lot of the global problems a lot easier. That's I, I, I totally agree. You know, that's the thing is that, you know, we all get so fixated on what's happening in Washington, D.C. I remember a guy a long time ago who told me, he said, hey, you need to pay attention to your councilman. You know, he's the one setting your sanitation rates and your uh, yeah. everything, the property value that, you know, and, and take pride in your community and your neighbors. And, and I think that's where it starts is in the community. And it kind of grows organically from there. And the way it's going now is not good at all. It's not good at all. But, you know, somebody said everything's cyclical. I've never seen this kind of rhetoric this bad in my life. Uh, and maybe it will go back to being sane again. And hopefully it will. And we can just pray that it, will, it does that. But yeah. it is once we look out for each other. I, and I think there's, I hate to say, I mean, not to say this, but there's a lot of good in this world that we don't yeah. see on TV. There's a lot of good that's happening. Uh, all over, you know, probably more good happening today than ever at this time in the world. We just don't see it now because we're being fed all the bad things that are happening. And, and I know we need to know about some of the bad things. And I understand that. But oftentimes we overlook some great things that are going on uh, because we got to put, put the bad part in there. And that's not good at all. <laughs> so uh, what is you, you split your time? I mean, the, the Friday night thing, you have to do a lot of prep work before you head into that or is that you know so many coaches and people from all the schools across the state now the content comes to you yeah it's both i mean i still prepare and the games what's happening what's at stake on friday nights uh you know you know some of the old players and you kind of remember the rivalries and what's happened in those games and then just kind of focus on what's happening now and you know we made this show kind of fast and fun just round about for 20 minutes you can get all the scores you needed maybe grab an interview or two for somebody. So it's been a lot of fun. And that's the thing. We had a guy at the radio station say, you know, it's easy to cover the NFL or the college because you just Google something. There it is. He goes, but if you're trying to Google, you know, East Nashville Magnet School, you're not going to find a lot when it comes to football or good pasture or, you know, Davidson Academy or whatever. You know, you're going to have to really get some legwork going. Yeah. And that's what makes it fun because you discover all these, you know, cool little facts and people uh, that have been part of this program for years. And so we're just really grateful. A lot of people listen on Friday nights and it's going great. So I, I couldn't be more happy with the show. That's, that's awesome. And I, I love that you're doing that. Tell me uh, about your, uh, your daily show that you have that people can watch live or on demand on, on YouTube. Yeah, that was uh, our show mornings on main show. I've actually stepped away from that. I didn't know and, that. Yeah. Just uh, probably about th uh, three months ago. 
and okay. uh, focusing more on more writing and on the high school football show. And I, I do a lot of freelance PR stuff that's going on, which has been really, really great. A lot of more chance to write more things and do more things. And it's been a lot of better, a lot of great people. And it's been kind of eye opening. And the best thing about it was I was able to hold on, come right back. Don't go anywhere. I was able to, uh, I wrote a book. So really, I had some, I had some time out. So I wrote a book. I've taken a lot of my newspaper articles, condensed them, and wrote a book. And I got to tell you, Michael, I thought I'd sell 15 copies, maybe. Like 10 to my brother and one to a couple of my friends here and there. Uh, it's done really well. And it's uh, it's called Create the Chaos. And it's just about uh, when I tried to break into the TV, I couldn't get anywhere. And people tell me, well, you need to go. You need to do it this way. Well, I did it that way, and I got nowhere. And then there's this one guy in the corner says, hey, you need to do it this way, you know, smoking a cigar, drinking a beer, like, hey, follow me. Nobody wants to follow that guy. But the guy was right. And he, you know, ends up leading me down a path. You know, this is uh, uh, hypothetical, leading down a path of like, I got my resume tape out there. I started getting these job offers and my life changed. So what I did, I created this wonderful chaos. So I tell people in your life, if your job's stagnant or you're not getting or you just feel bad, create wonderful chaos. I mean, do different things, you know, write things, start a blog, you know, volunteer, do so much that people notice you and then go to the next level. And it's just a story, you know, a bunch of stories about not being successful, but putting you on a path of feeling good about yourself, being positive. And one of the main things in the book is we need to celebrate each other's success. I need to celebrate your success. I need to celebrate Greg Ruff's success. We need to lift each other up because it kind of manifests each other in our lives. And that's what it was about. So taking my time off from Main Street, I was able to write this, put this together. Uh, and it's been wonderful. And, you know, there's part of the book I tell people that, you know, a, a great parable is, you know, it's this guy going across the desert with his family. He sees a house. It's got a light on. You know, he's hungry. He's knocking on the door. And the homeowner comes down and says, you know, the only reason I'm opening this door is because you won't stop knocking. And I tell people, never stop knocking on the door. Because yeah. they will answer and it will be open for you. So where, I've been really lucky. Where is it available on Amazon or yes, sir? Yeah, yeah, Amazon to search my name or create the chaos, and there it is. So you know, had I been full time over there doing that, I probably wouldn't have done that. And so I had a lot of time to come together, condense all the articles, and put them together, and put it out there. So I've got another one's coming out next month as well, and uh, just like some good Southern humor and things that are happening that are yeah. going around, and uh, it's been really wonderful. I've heard from people that I have no idea who they are from all parts of the country who have emailed me telling me about, about my book. And it's been really cool to see that part of it. What's uh, am I right? You're big Joe on the go.com. Is that what yes, people sir. That's it. I'm going to yep. pop that Post up here. everything there. Yeah, it's great. Um, so, and this is, this is where um, like if, if people want to, people want to go to, uh, to, to, kind of check out all your other writings um they can yeah everything's there big, yep big joe on the go.com yes uh, sir there he is yeah uh before we go i've got a couple of just general questions about sure. things that have kind of jumped out at you while while you've been doing what you do tell me give, give me two or three personalities that you've met over the years that maybe are really cool stories. I mean, like people that maybe you thought wouldn't want to give you the time of the day that surprised you with how nice they were. We don't, you know, we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep it friendly. We won't tell any stories about people who are total jerks, but you know, who, tell me about some, some cool things that have happened to you along the way. Uh, there was, uh, I had to cover the CMT awards years ago and because we had like half the staff off the channel too. So I went down to cover the CMT awards and a story that day was every presenter on stage gets kind of that swag bag, you know, got boots, a palm pilot at the time and all these great things. So I'm back I'm, day before the, the big event, I'm backstage. This guy walks up and says, Hey, these boots will look good on you. And I look over and it's, it's William Shatner, right? Oh, all right. So it's me and my camera guy and William Shatner in this room. And I'm thinking, you know, you know, you didn't have camera. I don't think you take a selfie or anything like that. 
And uh, I was like, hey, man, you know, my first reaction was TJ Hooker because yeah. I said TJ Hooker. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he goes, he goes, I never get that. I always get Star Trek. But yeah, I love TJ Hooker. And all of a sudden, he goes, you want these boots? And there are boots in there my size, like 600 bucks. And I said, well, I'm not a presenter. He takes a bag, grabs the boots, puts them in a bag and says, well, you're a presenter now. And he has me this. <laughs> I mean, we probably $1,000 worth of stuff. And I'm like, I can't take this. He's like, I ain't telling anybody. I was like, okay. He was wonderfully gracious. I mean, it was just, it's TJ Hooker to me that was standing there. It was just a, a lot of fun. Uh, another guy that some people, you know, that I know they don't like him, but, you know, Kid Rock has been, the times I've dealt with him have been fantastic. And, you know, I got a tip one time that, you know, Kid Rock had paid off, I think it was like $88,000 in layaway at a Walmart of Dickerson Pike. Wow. And, you know, I got a tip that he was going to be over there. And I went over there and he was there. And he's like, hey, man, uh, do me a favor. And I said, yeah. He's like, I don't want the story to be told. And I said, but you're doing a great. He's like, I don't want it to be told. He goes, it'll get out on its own. He goes, but I don't want it to be told. And in the middle of this, one of the ladies who he paid off for layaway just came up balling and everything. And, and to watch him being so gracious with this lady and make sure she had a Christmas. But I got cold, I, I got cold chills right now thinking about that moment, which, which was really cool. And I know people, he's volatile and people don't like, and I get all that. But to see it in that moment of just a man giving back was was really cool. And those are the two things that kind of, they're completely different, uh, but they stand out in so many ways. You know, I've run in sports figures throughout the year. You know, I ran in the shack downtown. He was fantastic. He was so gracious. Took pitch. You know, he's, they say he's seven foot one or whatever. He's every bit of 10 feet tall. He's just gigantic. And he was so nice taking pictures with a lot of people. And there's been other people's, you know, Ron Jaworski's one that's weird. I ran to Ron Jaworski downtown one time. You know, and I had to leave because he wouldn't shut up. I mean, he was so great talking football and, you know, everything was just so wonderful at that. So, but the Kid Rock story and the William Shatner one are the ones that kind of stand out to me. The the common thread in those stories was generosity. Yeah, yeah, right. As you may know, um, I mean, that's something that I've been, I studied, you know, and did a, did a degree, uh, doctoral degree dissertation on, on generosity and satisfaction with life and commitment to an organization. And, but it, it was all driven from studying generosity at its core. And, and you have been the epitome of a generous spirit in this town for all these years. And even though, you know, we don't hang out a lot, maybe we can change that, you know, maybe we'll, we'll meet up at Fletcher's and yeah, there you go. Or something, but uh, you know, Joe, I, I love, I love your generous heart toward people. And, and I, I think one of the things that we're struggling with in our society, one of the things that makes it so challenging right now to find any common ground is that we think if, if we give up anything at all for the sake of someone else, then, then we're, we're losing a part of ourselves. And, and in fact, when we, when we make a gesture toward another, we're actually becoming, in my view, more of what we were created to be in the first place, and which is for the good of one another and for the for the good of the world. And um, you know, as Christians, that's the that's the heart of the message. But it, generosity works. Period. You know, I, I don't I don't yeah. have to offer a lot of caveats past that. And I, I I thank you so much for sharing these stories of generosity and. Do you still have the boots? Do you still have the William Shatner boots? I do, and they're in a the storage room. Yeah, they they they're really tight. They don't fit my big fat foot anymore, but <laughs> I do have those, and they're great. And I will tell you this: you know, I tell you know, I in the show, and I write this too, a lot of places, and I tell people, and it takes a minute to kind of figure it out. And I tell them, you know, no one ever went broke by giving. Yeah, no one, no yeah. one has ever gone broke by giving, and so. It takes for some people, it's like, yeah, what? And they finally get it. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so, you know, it doesn't take a lot to give back. Uh, you just got to do it. And that's it. And, and so generosity is at the core of everything, whether, you know, you know we uh, one time, you know, adopting the we did a lot with animal shelters and helping adoptions. And, you know, I, I'd get emails from people about how the dog has changed your life. And think I was like, no, 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 I was just put in a place to be a conduit between A to B 
that you guys could meet. And I love the fact I was able to facilitate that. You know, that I rude myself from the situation and that those two parties can celebrate what they've done. And especially with animal rescues and all that have been great. So anytime that you could push a little bit forward, push a little bit forward and keep pushing a little bit forward is, uh, is great. So I appreciate the kind words. That means a lot. Well, you've been, uh, been great hanging out with you here today and um you know it, it we're recording on october the 26th and and again um you know thinking kind thoughts about your your uh remembrance of your mom yesterday i hope people will go to big and and uh read some of the things that you've shared you 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 are you are a terrific storyteller and you have the, the capacity you. to share real human emotion with your writing you can tell you're not writing to impress you're just writing to share and yeah you know it's i, I wrote one i had a friend of mine and i'll leave you this he, he had took care of his father for like two years and his father passed away and he's with him like 24 7 and he said i don't know what i'm doing with my time now and you know and that was the thing with my brother and i we would switch off taking care of my mother for several years and she passed on a sunday and so every friday we would meet up my brother and i uh, at the nursing home, just for 30 minutes, maybe eat something real quick, talk to see each other, kind of, you know, make sure we're both sane on the same level. So she passed away on a, on a Sunday. We buried her on a Thursday. And that Friday, I was working at Channel 2. I did the 6 o'clock sports cast. I got in my car, and I drove to the nursing home. And, <laughs> and I sat there, and I you know, waited. And so I called my brother, and I said, where are you? Are you, where, where, are you here? He's like, where are you? I said, I'm at the nursing home to see mom. I'll never forget, Mike. He's like, he, mom passed away and it just like you have this muscle memory right yeah. of just going and i wrote the story last week and it's simply called hey where are you and i've heard from so many people that were in the same boat that you just kind of get lost in doing that job of taking care of a loved one whether it's your mom dad wife brother sister whatever and i've heard from so many people how they were in the same boat and i i gotta tell you I don't write it for money. I don't write it for a pat on the back. But when you see these messages come in and, you know, sometimes there's a hundred of them come in and people telling you that how that story moved them and made them feel. Uh, I, I don't I don't know how to react. It's just it's amazing. It's an amazing, warm feeling to let people know that something you've written that they can relate to and care about. And it's been just a wonderful thing. So the writing has been therapeutic for me in so many ways. And I'm glad other people have seen it that way as too. So thank you. Well, I know you, I know you have a meeting to get to here at the top of the hour, but uh, Joe, thanks so much, buddy, for, for joining me here. And sure, uh, thank you. You guys uh, go look for Create the Chaos by Joe Dubin, available on Amazon or uh, also available at BigJoeOnTheGo.com. There you go. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been great. All the best to you, my friend. We'll see you soon. Michael, thank you. I really appreciate you. Thank you.